Hey, it's Seeking Plum. What if in the journey from childhood to adulthood, we have formed ourselves into an organic computer of sorts? From our time watching TV to how we, quote, learn in school to even our interactions on social media and even how we interact in society. What if all of these things have caused us to create internal menus, if you will, patterns, choices that we choose from, that these have all become so habitual that we know the appropriate response in every circumstance or nearly every circumstance? Several days ago, I came across an article on Medium.com by Jordan Greenhall entitled On Thinking and Simulated Thinking that I can't get out of my head because I keep thinking about the personal ramifications as well as those that affect society. Okay, let's lay a little groundwork here. Greenhall starts with an analogy. He says, if you remember learning how to drive a car or ride a bike, you likely recall transitioning from the uncertain, unsure, exploratory moments of early learning to the increasingly effortless, unconscious process that now allows you to drive from work to home without even noticing that you did so. He describes the first part of that as learning, that we're in a costly, awkward, and error-prone explore mode, and this mode is really rather terrible at getting things done. But then we transition into habit mode, and it is really rather terrible at exploring reality, creativity, and innovation. But it is fast and allows for efficient optimization. He later presents that he thinks authentic thinking is the fluid use of explore mode and habit mode. And what he's calling simulation thinking is what he's calling a form of habit mode that represents itself as the totality of thinking. To flesh that out a bit, he writes, simulated thinking shows up as thinking, takes itself as thinking and armed with a vast and often nuanced script of predefined signals and, quote, appropriate responses even resembles thinking, but it is not. It is habit, not learning, and as a consequence, it is completely incapable of creatively responding to changes in actual reality. He then goes into that the way we learn is to have feedback or interaction. We don't receive that when we watch television. In the classroom, it is often that we are fed information and we are taught to recall it, not to reason through it. How many of us were taught to memorize our multiplication tables or to recall which president was the 27th? What happened in 1812? What H2O stands for? As toddlers, there's a lot of exploration. We are trying to figure out the world and understand it. But as we progress through life, we are soon taught that that is not rewarded. Even games teach us to move from the exploration into habit-forming thinking. Greenhall later writes that at a social level, thinking, that is authentic thinking, will often show up as hostile. If we aren't playing the appropriate roles, if we aren't giving the appropriate responses, then we don't fit in. We are considered uh, on the outside. He writes, simulated thinking is limited to its prefab scripts. 
As a consequence, it doesn't have good ways to respond to the novelties and subtleties of real thinking. If it interprets thinking as error, it might select a response of, quote, dismiss, or, quote, debunk. If it interprets thinking as hostile, it might select a response of, quote, attack, or, quote, defend, or scapegoat, or witch hunt. The more sophisticated the scripts, the more effectively simulated thinking will be able to react to, limit, and extinguish real thinking. After all, it has the weight of almost the entire population on its side. To think in an environment infected with simulated thinking is almost to invite a witch hunt. So just to briefly recap, authentic thinking is the fluid use of explore mode and habit mode, and simulated thinking, a form of habit mode that represents itself as the totality of thinking. Okay, now let's look at the consequences of this. True or false? Multiple choice? Good or bad? When someone asks us an either-or question, the assumption is that we have to answer A or B, instead of a fluffy pink cloud with green and purple sparkly polka dots. But to an extent, we have been conditioned to give certain appropriate responses. I came across this screenshot on Instagram the other day, and it says, do you guys realize we can change our lives anytime we want? Like you can just go ahead and delete your blog, stop eating meat, shave your head, start running, tell that person you hate why you hate them so much, confess your love to someone and kiss them unexpectedly. Like, why don't we do that? I think each one of us could name something we would like to do but we're hesitating. We won't do it for any number of reasons. But have we come to those reasons due to habit or because we've truly explored our thought processes to come to those, to those reasons? Greenhall pointed out that in habit mode, if we spend a lot of time there, we begin to lose our capacity for exploration. And then that part of us begins to atrophy. We can relearn authentic learning but I think that that can be a bit scary or daunting at first because exploration can be clunky and awkward and it requires a bit of failure in order to get back up and continue on. Without those failures, we don't really learn. But none of us likes to fail and none of us likes to fall down. And we don't like to appear awkward to be awkward. We want to be cool. You know, we want things to be smooth sailing. We want to look smart and be smart. Greenhall said as well that simulated thinking can even appear dazzling and create this image of the golden age. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that? But I think that can lead us into groupthink, which I think makes it even easier to buy into these either-or responses, either-or answers, and even menu options, the patterns, the choices, the simulated thinking. Many assume that when a president is inaugurated, he's going to suddenly start behaving, quote, presidential. And if he doesn't, then it doesn't compute. Rather than adapt, they continue to buy into this idea that it will happen. And yet, again and again, they are surprised. Another example, when a tech company or somebody in the tech industry creates a tool 
that does not end up being used as it was originally created, either because over time, society and time have changed what this tool is, or because by the very nature of humans as we are, we have changed how it's used, what it does, what we want it to be. When in simulated thinking, I think a trap that we easily fall into is the idea that any person, entity, thing is all good or all bad. No political party is 100% good or 100% bad. And the same goes for a religion of any kind, a person of any kind. In thinking about a lot of these things, I have reflected on how I may be perceived at times and how I perceive others. So I'd like to think that I spend some of my time in habit mode and some time in explore mode. But I wonder when I interact with others or what they create or produce, whether that's in a book, an article, uh, a, a TV, a movie, a podcast, etc., Am I perceiving them when I'm in explore mode or when I'm in habit mode? And when they are creating or speaking to me or interacting with the world around them and I'm just observing them, are they in habit mode or explore mode? So when I come to my conclusions, are they, are they fair? The good, the bad, and the mediocre? And by that same token, then there is that reminder that others are perceiving me, sometimes when they're in explore mode, sometimes when they're in habit mode, and sometimes when I'm in either one of those modes as well. In some ways, it can be humbling, but also Greenhall pointed out that in order to learn, we have to collaborate. We have to interact with others of different backgrounds, different opinions. This is how we learn. So whether they are in explore mode or habit mode doesn't really matter in the end if I am in explore mode, if I am asking questions, if I'm looking to learn from them, with them, with you. There was so much in that article that was valuable I and so much that it caused me to think about. I can't even tell you. I, I just want to recommend that you check it out for yourself. If you have a membership uh, with medium.com, you'll be able to listen to the audio version. And if you don't, you can still read the article itself. I'll link to it in the show notes. If you have any thoughts or you'd like to interact, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and medium.com at Seeking Plum. And if you want to be a, possibly a part of an episode or this one in particular, feel free to call in. As always, thank you for listening. Hi, it's Seeking Plum. Have you ever thought that we don't think enough about thinking? Perhaps we need to really delve deep inside the insidey parts of our thinky brains and really think deeply and insidely about thinking. If this is difficult for you, then let Seeking Plum do the thinking for you with her big, thinky, inside brain.
More on thinking later. Thinky thinking thoughts today in audio. Hey, Seeking Plum, it's Alan with Sentient Future. I was really enjoying your episode here on authentic thinking. And I completely agree. I think there are some uh, real risks with thinking that we only have really finite options in front of us and to potentially uh, disregard some of the creative or creative options we've got. So uh, I find for myself, it's helpful to, you know, set reminders. Hey, have you thought outside the box lately? Or another way to look at it is uh, to prefer top-down thinking as opposed to bottom-up, uh, basically being starting with what it is that you want or, who, or what it is that you value, obviously the way that I kind of talk about things, um, and then kind of look for the details to support not to support that, but to, to achieve that, uh, as opposed to uh, starting with the details that you think you have in front of you. Um, it seems like it might be an exhaustive list, although it, it likely isn't, uh, and uh, get to the best total solution you can, uh, even if that isn't totally in line with what you value. So anyways, um, I thought you might find that interesting, and I, I really found your episode interesting too. Thank- hey, Alan. So setting a reminder, huh? This this is a new one I have not considered but uh, it, it might be something I do look at for in the future. I don't know if it'll work for me, but it's, it's worth a thought at least. Your top-down approach reminds me of the one that I use when I'm brainstorming, but I sort of think of it as a, a backward approach, but it's very similar, right? I identify the end goal and from there work my way back. And I pull out every idea, good or bad, and throw them out on the table. And then from there, pick and choose possibilities, including even some of the rough, bad ideas. Because sometimes you can buff them up and they can become good. Or you can pull out something from a bad idea and put it into a good one to make a better one. So I don't know if it works this way for you, but when I look at my brainstorming process and this backward approach, it reminds me of the awkward fumbling exploration process. It's full of multiple failures before you finally hit gold. I was listening to a podcast today called Akimbo, and the episode was about a writer's block. And the guy was saying that there is no such thing as writer's block. It's more about the fear of not meeting perfection, and that we don't have enough bad ideas. It's all about our desire for that one perfect best idea. But if you look at past and current prolific authors who have had a lot of bestsellers or a lot of successful books, at least, the way they got there was that they wrote day in and day out, regardless of whether what they produced was perfection or not, gold or not. And because there was an abundance to pull from, there is more, there is more gold, more silver, more bronze, you know, to pull out and see as success. And of course, along the way, the more we practice uh, our authentic thinking, when we bring it back to the topic of thinking, I think it becomes a more fluid process and we get better at it, like anything. 
I don't think there's any such thing as perfect thinking or perfectly authentic thinking. I just think that we continue to we continue to improve ourselves to improve the way that we think, the way that we see the world, the way that we move through it. On the topic of tips and tricks, I think I've mentioned it before that I tend to ask myself a lot of questions like, is this assumption that I've come to an accurate one or is this true? Those types of things. And then if I find that they're not or they're not quite solid in their foundation, then I go back to where I started and I revisit it and and I can address it like I would a brainstorming process. So from the top down or, you know, from the starting point backwards or rather the end point backwards. I've been wondering lately with all of this hyper focus on success of making that great hit, whether it's a song, a book, a YouTube channel, etc. If we've lost the ability, the freedom to fail, to make a mistake, and in turn, if that filters into how we think, that either we want to so desperately fit in or to get those likes, or we want to be famous like, you know, so-and-so that we think we have to meet certain criteria or we have to fulfill a formula of some kind. Select those appropriate menu options. I don't think there's a quick fix necessarily, but I think if we spent time with young kids and asked them their thoughts on various topics, they'd have some straightforward answers for us. Answers that cut straight to the heart of the matter. Answers that think outside the box, that don't get hung up on the things that we get hung up on. They can say the darndest, most insightful things sometimes. 